lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here. We are down a man. Todd has the day off, but Aaron is here, of course. Otherwise, we couldn't be here. He's more important than me. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And if you prefer the free speech alternatives to those platforms, you can look for me on MeWe, Parlor and Gab. If you're looking for clips of the show, uh, go to Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. That's where you will get unfiltered, uncensored clips of this program, including that uh, Breakthrough interview we did with Dr. Ryan Cole, award-winning pathologist on uh, both the vaccine and uh, the virus itself. You can get that and more at rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. If you are like our family and you've got a movie night kind of a tradition uh, on the weekends, might I suggest something for you? And it's not just because um, yours truly uh, actually has an appearance in this film. In fact, that may my inclusion could very well reflect poorly upon these filmmakers. As Mark Twain once said, I would not belong to a club who would have me as a member. Okay, but uh, this film uh, is an award winning film. Uh, It won Most Inspirational Film at the 2019 Christian Film Festival, uh, and it attacks the pro life issue from an angle you've never really seen it before, and that is a contemporary court setting, what it would take to essentially overturn Roe versus Wade. And the name of the film is Order of Rights as a father battles to protect his unborn child from being killed. If you want to get this film right now, uh, it's available for rent or purchase on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google, Vudu, Vimeo, all the various stream services out there. You can get it. Watch it with the family this weekend. I think it will uh, spur an interesting conversation because it also has a personal tale. A lot of you know I was born to an unwed 50 15-year-old mom. That's kind of the genesis of this tale as well. Orderofrightsmovie.com is where you can go if you want to see the trailer, but you can pick it up on all the major streaming services this weekend if you would like. All right, it is a Friday. You know what that means. Next hour, we'll get to your feedback, but we begin, as always, with the day group. I always love when we have people on here for the first time and they see the logo and the music and realize we just completely ripped the McLaughlin group off, like down to the format, the branding, everything. And we figured, hey, we're taxpayers. We're subsidizing that show. We get to do that. We do have for the first time an old friend of mine as a panelist. Hogan Gidley is here with us. He was the uh, the head honcho for the press uh, of the reelect for Donald Trump's campaign last year. And by now, you know our good friend Rachel Semmel as well. She's a veteran. This is her third time. So she has no excuses for any more poor performances. Good to see both of you. Let's get to issue one. Bleep. Lord Nefarious says. Similar to the situation in the UK, the Delta variant is currently the greatest threat in the US to our attempt to eliminate COVID-19. In the areas where they have large pockets of unvaccinated people, we can surely expect to see surges in cases, in some situations challenging the healthcare capacity of that local area. It's awful hard as well to get Latinx 
vaccinated as well. Why? They're worried that they'll be vaccinated and deported. It's here. It's a Fauci, ouchie, pouchy from my vaccination card. On the issue of critical race theory, etc., I'll, I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. Um, but I do think it's important, and it is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So, what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building? and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America. What caused that? If you want to think you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. The root causes of it, the white supremacy, the anti-Semitism, the Islamophobia, all the rest of it that was so evident. I got them $1.9 trillion relief so far. Do you have concerns in 2021? I mean, obviously, it's been four years. You had remarks on the floor following the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd saying, you know, hoping to root out systemic racism in the country. Um, your thoughts on an elite, all-white, wealthy club, again, in this day and age, um, you know, should these clubs continue to exist? It's a long tradition in Rhode Island, and there are many of them. And uh, I think we just need to work our way through the issues. Pay them more. Pay Jess. Do you ever microaggress me? I sure do. What happens after you microaggress me? Um, you let me know, mm -hmm. and I apologize, mm -hmm. and um, tell you that I will try to do better next time. Be open to feedback. It's how we change the world. I wrote the bill on the environment. Does the president believe that a 15-week-old unborn baby is a human being? Are you asking me if the president supports a woman's right to choose? He does. All critical race theory is saying as a theory of law is that it's not about individual acts of bigotry or bias or racism. It is a systemic and institutional network that must be somehow discerned and dismantled. I would request that my colleague, Senator Cruz, not mistake, mistake what I'm saying. And you know what? All this mansplaining, please stop. Thank you. I love the smell of sulfur at noontime. Let's get to it. Hogan, uh, it's time uh, to break your maiden around here. So what was the best of the worst highlighted this week, according to you? There are so many best of the worst. The clips you just played, obviously, the, the, the nuclear comment of the president saying he would, he would nuke American citizens over guns. Hands obviously. up, don't nuke. I'm sorry. I, I, exa yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Exactly right. Yeah. And by the way, remember, there was a, an uncorroborated story that Donald Trump talked about nuking a hurricane, which, by, you know, which has been studied since the 60s, and the media ran with that. But Joe Biden can talk about nuking American citizens, and no one says a word about it. I think that's okay. And of course, the Sheldon Whitehouse uh, excuse for joining a, a white or being a member of a white country club now for a, a very long time. Ah, yes, the uh, long tradition slash many of them excuse to to be a part of a, a all white um, club was odd. Um, the General Milley, who I worked with in the past, that other clip was really good too. The the he said he wasn't woke and he was offended by the concept of of wokeness in the military, and then went on to use phrases like white rage, which mm -hmm. made no sense whatsoever. For me, though, I do think the the best of the worst for this week is happening right now. And that's Kamala Harris at the southern border. You didn't play a clip of that yet. Um, maybe Joe Biden can whisper about it to us all later in some type of weird ASMR 
um, <laughs> podcast or interview. <laughs> but for her to go 750 miles away from where the real problem is, equidistant from Chicago to New York, and try and tell us she has solutions when, in fact, her first trip to Guatemala, Honduras, et cetera, was about you know finding out the root causes, which is a long-term issue, and finding a solution that is long-term. Now she's finally addressing the crisis by going somewhere that has problems, but it isn't even close to the epicenter of the drugs and the human trafficking and the child smuggling um, pouring across our southern border at record numbers like we've never seen before. And for her to have her head in the sand and to go that far west in Texas and for the media to give her a pass, to me, is probably the best of the worst uh, this week. In fairness to the media not pointing out that Joe is advocating nuking Americans, they also are in favor of nuking many Americans. So you cut them a little bit of, of slack there. Well, well, they're in favor of all the issues that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris espouse. So I guess they just give themselves a pass in the process right, as well. Right. You can't expect self-awareness on any level in America right. today. Rachel, your ex, which the best of the worst, according to you? You know, it didn't it didn't make the clip machine. But what really burnt my cookies this week was the dad that was arrested at the Loudoun County uh, school board yep. meeting just a couple days ago. Mm -hmm. And I think that was another whole level of once you heard the story and you realized he was just standing up and wanting to use the building until seven when they had it reserved to talk about what the kids that his kids were learning and the fact that he was handcuffed and it was all caught on video and there really wasn't an, an excuse or a reason for it. I think that was the best of the worst because that escalated in my mind the critical race theory fight this just this past week. But my my runner up would be that gun press conference that you played the, the the nuking part. But the second half of that press conference, Biden's talking about crime and what causes crime, and he says the reason why kids are carjacking and murdering people at epic levels is because school is out after as if he hadn't advocated for months to keep schools locked up. I mean, the level of gaslighting right. in that gun press conference w could have lit up D.C. for months to come. By the way, can MSNBC make up its mind whether CRTV, CRTV, I keep doing that, whether CRT exists or not? Uh, half the shows are on there. We play clips of them telling us this is a canard and doesn't exist. And the other half of the shows on there defend it uh, on the merits. So does, the, does that network itself even know, Rachel, whether there is such a thing as CRTV? They can't even make their, up their own minds on that channel. Listen, I will tell you that to me was a great sign that Joy Reid interview that you're talking about with Chris Rufo. That's a great sign that we're getting under their skin exactly. when yes. after weeks they're saying, oh, wait, guess what? Uh, they're not, this is not critical race theory. And Ibram Kendi is backing away from being a critical race theorist. Listen, you can call it anything you want, intersectionality, critical race theory. At the end of the day, the parents in America know what it is and it's state sanctioned racism. And yeah. that's all we need to say from here on out. Aaron. Yeah. Sample your own supply. Yeah. I, I was, I was going to say, I, I was going to say the, the video of, of the gal and her roommates, um, talking about microaggressions and how basically, basically there's an invisible chain that's around that uh, white girl's neck. That's that's what they that's what that's what critical race theory really is because it is racist, as Rachel just said. It's the superiority or the inferiority of one group of people based on their skin color. We've been over that uh, multiple times, uh, but I think it is a good sign though because 
Uh, my, my favorite of the week, and I can't re even remember his name near the end there, all critical race theory is, it's just, it's not looking at individual acts of <clears throat> character. It's not looking at individual acts of character. Uh, it's looking at, uh, it's just, you know, it's about dismantling entire systems, guys. What's the big deal here? Mm -hmm. Shows you they're on the defensive. Which, mm -hmm. which, when, which when, by the way, Democrats control all the levers exactly. of their Exactly. I uh, see Sheldon Whitehouse as well. So uh, I think that's a pretty good sign. That Sheldon White Club. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think that's a that's a pretty good sign that they are on the defensive. And um, uh, yeah, that that's that's um, that's a pretty, pretty telling remark there. And I'll tell you another thing that's pretty telling. Once they've always and if they have no excuse whatsoever to defend whatever leftists are trying to put forward, they always call you a racist. We haven't really seen that a whole lot with critical race theory. But yesterday, Rashida Tlaib just came right out and said, yeah, uh, uh, objections to critical racist the theory are definitely just based in racism. That's showing you they lost the argument when they resort just to that. That's that's a sign they're losing. Amen. On a scale of one to ten, with one being how many children should be getting covid vaccines and ten being how many experts should probably uh, face um, capital punishment for uh, the deaths they caused by lying about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Uh, rate this week's level of total depravity, Rachel. Eight. What do you think, Hogan? Uh, I think it's a nine. Yeah, I was an eight as well. Wow. I mean, I thought it was it'll, pretty bad. It'll are, be are, a nine by the time Kamala goes to the border. That, that's, right. Right. Yes, that's, that's true. Uh, uh, listen, it ain't a party until Kamala cackles, all right? But, well, then there's always a party going on because she's always cackling. Look, I, I have to say, though, it's so interesting to watch Dr. Jill Biden in, in uh, giving that speech because you and I both know, Steve, all the experts, all the scientists who lied about masks, who lied about the Wuhan lab, who lied about gain-of-function research, who lied about where the money was going, where it was coming from, who lied about wearing masks for a... Um, you know, reason just to, to to showcase some type of virtue signaling, as as Dr. Fauci did. All of those folks in lab coats are now just um, politicians in white coats. Mm -hmm. um, now those same people are telling us, "Oh no, you have to get the vaccine." You don't understand. It's paramount because it's so safe and it's so great. I'm not saying it's not, but I do understand those who have taken a pause and and, and wonder, "Wait a minute, you've been lying to us now for the better part of a year." Forgive me if I'm just going to take a minute to see exactly what happens amen. Uh, yeah. with the effect of these of these yep. vaccines. Yeah, amen. Let's get to issue two, the rising. All across the country, episodes of defiance are happening with increasing frequency, most notably when it comes to schools and what they're teaching. One epicenter of this movement seems to be Loudoun County, Virginia, where this week the school board there closed the public comments section at a meeting after a raucous speech by a state senator called the cops and had multiple people arrested. In New Jersey, this parent laid down the law to his school board over their hiring of a literal communist. This is constitutional case law in this country, and I'm quoting you from the U.S. Supreme Court. The, just, the judges wrote that... This nation is founded on the, quote, profound national commitment to the principle that debate on public issues shall be uninhibited, robust, and wide open, and that it may well include vehement, 
caustic and sometimes unpleasantly sharp attacks on government and public officials. That's constitutional case law in this nation. I don't have to be nice to you. Nobody behind me has to be nice to you. If you don't like living in the United States of America, then you can all move to Russia, Cuba, or China. This is the First Amendment. More examples of this uprising in recent weeks outside Rochester, New York, at a school district. A parent and a disrespectful school board member got into a physical altercation after a public discussion on masks and critical race theory. I'll turn it over to Superintendent's report. In Illinois, this parent called out his fellow parents and school board's hypocrisy when it comes to racial issues. How am I now directing over folks that look just like you guys in this room right now? How? What, what, what kept me down? What oppressed me? I work for myself from off the streets to where I am right now. You're going to sit here and tell me this lie of critical race theory? Of this, this, this the reason why black folks can't get ahead because of white folks? Are you kidding me? This is what we come to now. I can't believe we're even talking about this right now. The last thing I'm going to say right here is something that's crazy. Martin Luther King said he wanted his kids to grow up in a world where they are judged by the contents of their what? Character. Their character, not their skin. Absolutely. If they let this stuff go on right now, it is absolutely doing the complete reverse of what he's doing. So when February comes, don't talk about Martin Luther King. When February comes, don't talk about black kids. None of y'all going to sit there and just pee, must pee on his grave with this nonsense. That's exactly what's about to happen. And it goes on and on, as previously mentioned, with increasing frequency. That is a positive trend. Rachel, you get the first question this time. For for decades, uh, patriots have been singularly, it seems, fixated on Washington. While the uh, spirit of the age deployed Tip O'Neill's axiom that all politics is local. Uh, the result is one side pretty much controls all the infrastructure in every major urban center of America that is primarily used by the other side. Um, are these prolifer- proliferating acts of local defiance indicators that maybe we're finally starting to figure the game out here? What do you think? Yeah, I think I think it's absolutely right. I think it perhaps started with lockdowns. We can maybe CRT is was round two for how things at the local level are now uh, starting to get more traction. But yeah, absolutely. When we're talking about uh, school board members, you know, it's so funny. School board members are like the people on the ticket that you never research before you go vote for. You just like pluck a couple off. And as somebody like me who doesn't have kids, I've never really like dug into what a school board member does. They've always been like a castaway vote, Mm -hmm. but not anymore. That's not happening now. These are some of the most powerful people in our country. And the fact that all the parents we're talking to at the Citizens for Renewing America, all the school board members we're talking to, they hold the the key in their hands to fix stuff. And they're getting stuff done. Like people in Missouri are getting stuff done. People in uh, Ohio are getting stuff done. Absolutely. D.C. is yesterday's news, man. Everybody at the local level is actually ticked off and parents are making it happen. Hogan, what are your thoughts on that? Steve, a mutual friend of ours, Governor Mike Huckabee, once told me that the toughest job in politics is being a school board member because everyone has your number <laughs> and everyone knows who you are. Right. That's that's clearly on display here. I will say, though, that one of the things Donald Trump gave us, just for a minute, take away the trade deals, the peace deals, moving of the embassy, rebuilding the military, tax cuts. Forget all that for just a moment. All that can be overturned by future Congresses and future presidents. What I think Donald Trump instilled in the Republican Party, at least for now, is that it's okay to fight back. And you have to do so in order to effectuate the change you want. And we've done that on the on the level at Washington, but not at the local level. And I think what CRT has done 
is infuriated so many uh, parents at that local level. And we know it's easier to effectuate change the more local the government. And so these parents are taking matters into their own hands, standing up for the future of their own children, who, by the way, are already a year behind in so many ways because of the lockdowns. And that, I think, will, over time, be proven to be one of the most disgusting things we've ever done to our, uh, our people, especially our children. These people are so furious, and they have every right to be. That fight back that I think Donald Trump kind of led the way on is allowing our parents to say, look, you can, you can call me whatever you want to. I know why I'm here, and it's to protect the future of our children. You're seeing it all over the place in these school boards, and I think it's one of the best things to happen to this country in a long time. See, I actually agree with a lot of that because the cynic in me says, well, this is the same pattern we've seen before. Uh, it's the pattern we saw after 1992 when Democrats got total control and then tried Hillary Care and then tried the Brady Bill. And, the, and it was called the Contract with America. And then we did it again in the Obama years and it was called the Tea Party. And then inevitably we send a bunch of people to Washington to Congress in response to this as a rebuke. And, and you know, 80 percent or more of them end up getting assimilated into District 1, never to really be heard from again. And we had some angst and then nothing really substantially changes. The reason why I think the, the point you're making, Hogan, about critical racist theory is vital is because this really isn't, for those of us that grew up in the 90s and were on university campuses at the dawn of political correctness, this is really a rehashing of a, go back and watch pop culture references in the early and mid 90s. And a lot right. of them are very, they weren't, it wasn't wokeness back then. We didn't have social media to, you know, uh, make Jason Williams give him a chance to look like an idiot, congratulating the Celtics on their first non-white head coach when it's their sixth one. And they were the first team to ever have a black coach named Bill Russell, like 70 years ago all right but but a lot of the language and the ideology behind it this is just repackaged we've been right. they, they've been trying to push this stuff for decades now i think what's changed is the 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 level of give bl you know blankety blank uh you know uh, uh you know f's about what you think about my reaction to this or my my opposition to this i think that is actually changing that's that's this what i think start. is different yeah, this didn't start this year, right? Politics didn't begin once Donald Trump became president. They have been systematically on the left, taking ground away from the American people and the right for decades and decades and decades. And we would just sit back and go, ah, it's okay. Just let, That's not really a big deal. Let it keep happening. It's just a little thing. No one cares. And all of a sudden, it's all built up to this massive behemoth they've created to try and cram down their communist socialist agenda and take over our education system, et cetera. And I think a lot of the parents are just saying, no, we've let this go on for too long. My mother's generation is, is telling me all the time how sad they are. They let this kind of incrementally happen along mm -hmm. the way. And our people are now saying, no, it's not going to happen anymore. And I love it. Plus, Aaron, a lot of parents got a long look last year with their kids yep. at home going to school virtually. It was in their face what was going on. It wasn't down the street or mm -hmm. on the other side of town. And that made it a lot harder to ignore what was being uh, plunged into their kids' skulls. This is why I think this movement is different from one that I you know, recollect. I was 15, 16, 17 years old when the Tea Party movement kind of hit its stride back in the Obama years and back in the early days there. This is why I think this is different. Because what I recall, and I could be wrong, so correct me, you were paying it probably closer attention than I was as a teenager. 
But what I recall is a lot of people in meetings with congressmen and women and senators who would go back to Washington, D.C., so not necessarily local too, too much. A lot of meetings with those would get into shouting matches. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rah, rah, rah. And then nothing would actually ultimately happen. We would oust them, as you mentioned, and then they'd go to Washington and nothing would happen. This is local. As uh, Hogan just said, these are people getting in faces of their neighbors. Mm-hmm of the people that they know are on a first name basis with that. I I don't know about you. If you know that you're going to walk out in public and there's a pretty good chance that something you did pisses off somebody you see at the grocery store, what are you going to be less likely to do? You're going to be less likely to do what you were doing to piss that person off. So I think that's a really, really good sign. What it can't do is is be hijacked by grifters like I think the Tea Party movement was and say, all right, this is great. Let's take this national. Let's take it to Washington. Nope. Keep it local. Keep it local. In other words, if 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 at Aunt Jemima is racist on Twitter, does something or or says something or does something, and I attack them, there's really, as you're pointing out, Aaron, there's no personal collateral damage for Correct. confronting them. But if it's Ned who owns the hardware store down the street where I buy all my lawn supplies every fall, mm-hmm. and he's the guy on the school board, and I'm getting in his grill, yep. by all means, that is going to have reverberations in Absolutely. the communities where we live. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we, we have this tendency. We've talked about this before. We have tendency to look at people as if they are constructs. No, they're still human beings, and it still doesn't really feel great to be on the butt end of angst and anger and fury of of parents that you are charged with teaching their kids and deciding what they learn in school. They're still human beings. That effect is still, I think, in place. Rachel, how do we sustain this? Well, I'll tell you to the point of Aaron, where people are actually doing stuff on the local level, I'll say that's absolutely the case. We're actually Every day we get calls from parents who are saying, how do we FOIA our curriculum to make sure nice. that our people at our school board meeting aren't lying to us? Mm-hmm. So we don't necessarily have it in our district, but how do we stop it? So I see, I mean, I obviously was around on the Hill during the Tea Party movement, Obamacare. This does feel different because it's not just standing up, having opinions, having rallies, showing up at the Capitol for kumbaya venting sessions. This is like we are FOIAing these people. And so there just does seem to be a little bit more tooth here. But to your point of like, how do we keep this going? There was an article yesterday in Politico that said Republicans are trying to make this the issue that uh, encapsulates 2022 and 2024 and Washington House Republicans are finally catching on. Well, A, that's great. They're finally not listening to Frank Luntz and doing what their people are telling them to do. But B, that's when you know that you've actually done stuff at the local level to make sure that uh, Politico then now says- You've penetrated their bubble. They can't ignore you any longer, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. So to your point, I think we're this is this feels different and it's a good feeling. Let's get to the exit question because I want uh, we got about three and a half minutes and I want to give each of you a chance to give a thoughtful answer here. Earlier this week on our show, our colleague here at Blaze Media, Daniel Horowitz, said Washington, in his opinion, is so far gone that he take every pure red state being governed by a DeSantis type of a governor with a Biden type in the White House over a DeSantis type as president with squishes for red state governors. And he said it was without question. When even think about that, he'd make that deal. Do you agree or disagree? Why or why not? Hogan, you get to go first. I wouldn't disagree, but I'd like to have a DeSantis type in the White House and a DeSantis type running our states, too, (laughs) because you've seen his ability to govern. I will say on the national stage, knowing a little bit about DeSantis, what's interesting is when you see most people who are statewide office holders, whether they be senators or governors, running for president. As you know, Steve, mm-hmm. and I love Rick Perry, but you can oop yourself off of that stage you in a bet heartbeat you can. Yep. because it's a completely different ball game you're playing. 
DeSantis is different than most statewide office holders in this country because he took the exact opposite position of Washington, D.C. and the mainstream media as it related to coronavirus. So it is in their vested interest to try and tear him down at every turn. The beauty of that is DeSantis is someone who is now pressure tested like few office holders who hold statewide office have been in the past that I can remember. I agree. So I think he's poised to run for president should he decide to do that. He's going to be coming to it with a very different, unique set of skills that most office holders don't have. And if he wants to run for president, I hope he does so. But we need more governors, too. We already control a majority of them. But look, I'm greedy. I want them in both positions. Rachel, go ahead. Got about two minutes. Oh, yeah. Completely believe. You know, I will follow Daniel Horowitz off a cliff, our Old Testament <laughs> prophet of woe or whatever you you, you say. Woe and so lamentation. I, yes. Yes. I always will say yes to governors. What we've seen that governors have the power to do in the last uh, two years, mm -hmm. uh, uh, change election results, uh, open up states. So business owners open up churches so parishioners can go to church. You can you can get the best president in the world in the White House. And I think we should and we can. We should do that every cycle. But the deep state, as Hogan and I experience there, is so real. You'll always find uh, officials there who are pumping out grants to Planned Parenthood that you never knew about because they hide the ball from you. So Yes, I would love him in both spots, but I 100% think that a governor can make more impact where we are right just right now than a president. Aaron? Absolutely. I, I think if you have enough of those governors, eventually you're going to get a president who's more in line with those. So I would definitely start with the governor. I mean, that's the way our system of government is supposed to be. It's supposed to be from the top down. And when I say the top, I mean we the people. We're at the top of the food chain here. All right. When we come back for part two of the conversation, I just got back from Texas. Um, I had a chance to uh, keynote a, uh, a, a somewhat high dollar event to try to raise money for grassroots organization uh, statewide in Houston. And so uh, I got a chance to kind of see Texas's political situation up close and personal, and it has national reverberations. We got a couple of, uh, uh, and I say this uh, as a term of endearment, we have a couple of uh, political hacks with us here on the panel. So I thought we had a chance to talk some hardcore politics about Texas as it relates to the rest of the country. And we'll do that here when we return. We were just discussing uh, the battles being waged in school boards across America. A welcome sight, long overdue. You know, the best time to have done something about this was yesterday or 10 years ago, but you can't do anything about that now. You can right now. And so it's good to see more and more Americans rising up to do that. And then you may end up finding out, though, that the best option for you is just to keep them away from that environment, your children, altogether. Uh, and so you're looking for alternatives, check out our friends at Freedom Project Academy, built on Judeo-Christian values with a classical curriculum. What's that mean? It means your kid will be taught like the people that founded and defended and passed on the country were taught. Mastery of subject matter, not indoctrination and propaganda. How to think, so critical thinking, not what to think. Uh, my own son, Noah, took Freedom Project Academy for a couple of years before enrolling at Des Moines Christian. So I've seen how it works, and it works well up close and personal. I know Dr. Duke Pesta and the team that started and maintains this school. I know them personally. So if you want to get more information, it's free just to get a packet and find out if it's a good fit for you at freedomforschool.com. Again, visit the website, freedomforschool.com. One more time, that's 
freedomforschool.com. Let's continue on with our weekly look at the week that was talking with Rachel Semmel from the Center for Renewing America. Uh, my old friend Hogan Gidley, former press chief for Trump's reelection campaign last year. Let's get to issue three. Are we going to turn our red Texas blue? Turning Texas blue for many decades, it seemed like the prospect was the Democrat Party's white whale. But now, after Senator Ted Cruz barely clung to his Senate seat in 2018 and the Republican governor faces what's sure to be a grueling primary challenge, that prospect has possibly never been less far-fetched. A new Quinnipiac poll of Texas finds the state split on whether Greg Abbott deserves to be re-elected as governor. 46% say they do, while 48% say no. The same poll finds former Senate candidate Beto O'Rourke in trouble. 52% of Texans say they don't want to see him run to 41% saying they do. One name getting a little attention is favorite son and celebrity Matthew McConaughey, whose political affiliation is unclear. 41% of Texans say they'd like to see him run, while 47% say they would not. So as someone who monitors and tracks these things closely, uh, Quinnipiac ain't the greatest pollster at the moment, okay? But what they attempt to quantify, you can see play out experientially, experientially and anecdotally if you've been following Texas politics. Abbott looks like he's going to face multiple primary challenges, including his former state party chairman, Alan West, who will step in with very high name ID. And of course, any of us that have been involved in primaries across the country, as I have been on numerous occasions, name ID is the very first hurdle for any form of an incumbent challenger to, uh, to clear. A guy like Alan West would do that. Uh, Aaron mentioned Beto almost beating Ted Cruz. A lot of us poo-pooed those polls throughout 2018, and then it ended up being within the margin for error, about a three-point win for Ted in his reelect. And then, of course, now we've got Matthew McConaughey, one of the few A-list major American Hollywood stars that the average American actually likes and actually isn't appalled by or disgusted by the average American at the same time. So given the fact if you turn Texas blue and along with New York and California, that's 71% of the electoral college votes necessary to win on a national level. How concerned should people in our audiences like this one be concerned about Texas going blue in either the 2022 or 2024 elections? Hogan, I'll start with you. I'd be very concerned. Um, at the end of the day, I do think Texas stays red. At least I hope it does. Um, but look, I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence. and I know your viewers would probably agree. The fact that the Democrats are making this massive push for a government, a federal government takeover of state elections with S1 that just went down, they'll continue pushing with H4 in the coming weeks. Uh, you know, put that in tandem with the Democrat policies of allowing people to come into this country illegally and unlawfully without documentation. The simultaneous nature of these two things occurring is quite problematic for Republicans in the future. That's why it's important we do focus on election integrity. Texas has a great bill uh, that's up right now that really strengthens and rights some of the wrongs of the past election. But Democrats know what they're doing. And we talked about this at the local level as, as it relates to Republicans fighting back at the school boards. Democrats have control of a lot of the levers of power at the local election levels. And these are going to be problematic for us in the future. So we've got to make sure election laws are shored up in these states and that we stop the, the government grab of elections from the, federal, from the federal level. And we stop these people pouring into our border 
those are those are recipes for disaster in Texas and in many other states around this country. So, Rachel, I was just down in Texas speaking for Texas Values at their banquet down there, and they were attempting to figure out how to crack the code in Harris County, where Houston is located, where that's the weakest uh, position they've been in from an organizational and fundraising standpoint across the state, which isn't a surprise. It's maybe the bluest county in the state. But one of the argues I've made about the arguments I've made about this last election and its result is that if this was if what went on in these half dozen counties that uh, with these shenanigans were part of a systemic and yet historic urban pushback against the president, who at the same time was getting more non-white votes than any Republican had gotten in 60 years, then I would actually argue that Biden should have won by more, that this should have happened in Every Fulton County and every major state should have happened in Harris County, Texas. It should have happened if it was not if it was not specifically corrupt, but systemically urban, unique urban pushback to the president labeled a racist and xenophobe for the last four years. Then Biden should have done this everywhere. This should have happened in St. Louis, should have won Missouri. This should have happened everywhere there's a major urban center with similar demographics. This sort of result should have occurred. Why wouldn't the Democrats in Harris County just sit there and say, dude, why don't we just uh, why don't we just Fulton and Wayne County this sucker in 2024? What are we doing here? Yeah, or remember in Florida, Brenda Snipes, who found a bunch of uh, ballots under her bed. Uh, I think that was in the DeSantis race. Yes. Yeah, abso- absolutely. I mean, do I think that there has been a lot of, of voter fraud and there will be a lot of voter fraud? I, I will always think that. And yes, I absolutely do. But I want to get to your point about why the voter should be disenfranchised with Governor Abbott. I mean, where there is a lack of vision, the people perish and or they vote for rom-com stars. That's just in the Bible somewhere. And <laughs> Republicans have had the majorities in the House and in the Senate in Texas since 2003, as well as the the, the governorship. You know what just happened three months ago? They finally did a pain-capable abortion bill. Mm -hmm. Abbott didn't stop. In fact, it failed uh, the gender modification bill. Abbott was silent on that. The issues of our time, the Republicans... Abbott specifically has failed to lead. In an oil state, he's been playing leftist games with renewables and and, and fossil fuels. It's, It's... Everybody should have their hair on fire with how he locked down the state and how he is absolutely uh, just messing over a lot of conservatives. And I don't know if this is this is the last point I'll make on this. So I I stop venting. But I don't know if this is coincidence, but a new poll came out today that said the top five most patriotic states in America. Texas was not on the top five list. Mm. So I don't know. Maybe it's the people from California moving in. Maybe it's people that are so frustrated with GOP leadership that has failed them at every turn. I don't know. But there's a real problem there. And I think uh, Republicans need to figure out how to how to make sure that the state doesn't flip. Aaron, remember, we had the border surge when Trump first took over. A lot of people trying to get in underneath the, the potential potential uh, construction of the wall. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and remember the day that we just live on the air went through Greg Abbott's Twitter feed. Yep. To see how often he was talking about what was going on in the border of his state, and we and we went back like a week and a half and mm-hmm. couldn't find a single a single discussion point about the border crisis in the state, the one that went on in the early Trump years. What yep. are your thoughts on this? So I I agree with with Rachel. I, I think there is an element of what's going on in Texas right now that is uniquely Greg Abbott. I mean, he is um, he, he he is probably the most milk toast. Uh, one of the most milk toast Republican governors in the country. And I'm saying up there with like Mike DeWine. It's just that he still has a little bit of that Texas twang. He's still uh, he's still fine with uh, guns and, and things like. But 
he is he is one of those most milquetoast governors. And so I do think people need to be concerned about Texas turning blue. Um, we, we see this. We've seen this a couple of times. Uh, and you pointed out some of those examples where it got real close, especially that one with uh, Beto O'Rourke and Ted Cruz. But I will point out. I will point out a little bit of hope for Texans. I think it's Hidalgo, Star County. There's one other country as well. Overwhelmingly Hispanic, over 90% Hispanic populations in those country, in those counties in Texas. They went reliably for uh, the Democrat presidential candidate, and we're talking about presidential uh, politics here, uh, with like, I don't know, Hugo Chavez, um, Vladimir Putin-like support, 50-60% uh, go swinging those directions. This last election, I'll remind you, you probably remember this already, those counties went um, like 50 point swings for president, uh, former President Trump. So tapping into whatever President Trump tapped into with that block of the vote, yeah. mm-hmm. I think that's going to be your path forward for okay. the Republican Party in Texas. And I would probably wager, and Hogan would would know this better than I would, I would probably wager that it's a populist and a, a little bit more of a conservative and non-woke message that uh, probably resonated yeah. with that population. In fact, Texas I, Values told me that one of their the Democrat officials down there that mm-hmm. you're referencing is actually way better for them to work with on our issues than the Republican candidates that have run against him in recent good. years. They flat out told I'm me this. Good. Hogan, I'll give you the last I'm word, real. but quickly, go ahead. Real quickly, a couple of issues this week that Democrats are struggling on. The border is their weakest position, no question. So is crime and so is CRT. You've seen them all come out in full force to address those issues. The border, though, for those tex- for those Texas communities around there are suffering so 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 harshly because of the policies of, of the Joe Biden administration. Someone like Abbott, who is now coming out and saying they're going to build a wall. Let's not rem- let's not forget it was Senator Graham who fought against me on television about building a border wall and immigration. Mm-hmm. Now he's down at the border every other week touting his bona fides there too. So I think the Republicans have understood this is an important issue for them to win on and run on as well. Exit question. I mean, look at the t- New York City mayor race. The cop who is a, a, a public gun carrier is who won with 1,200 right. or 12,000 Twitter followers is who won that primary, right? Uh, if the odds of Texas going blue in either the 2022 or 2024 elections were a journey song, which journey song would it be? A, faithfully staying red. B, uh, separate ways going blue. Or C, open arms. It's open for debate. Aaron. Open arms. Rachel. A. What do you think? It's staying red. What do you think, Hogan? D, D, don't stop believing. (laughs) I don't think I've gotten you to answer one of my exit questions yet. I'm going to continue on, though. Let's get to issue four. Really quick, let's just reverse the premise on this. Let's reverse and say, which current blue state do you think has the best chance to go red in either 2022 or 2024? Rachel. Virginia. See, I I agree. I agree with you. It is Virginia, but explain why you think it is. Yeah, I mean, it's because here in D.C., it's in our backyard and I get to see all the all the ads. I think there was such an overplaying of the hand for covid. I think there was such an overplaying of the hand on critical race theory, as you're seeing. I mean, Loudoun County is one of the most educated, wealthy counties in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, They certainly uh, swing some elections. And then I don't I know that this is an issues. Uh, a values uh, issue, and a lot of people in Virginia are socially liberal. But let's not forget the like 
Virginia is the only other state to my remembrance, in addition to New York, where the governor and the state legislature have passed legislation that says you can't abort a baby when it's born. I think it's all of these things combined and along with a lot of the scandals of the Democrats. And I think Youngkin's actually really done a great job of coalescing some of these uh, constituencies that maybe are a little bit more purple. Mm -hmm. But I think Virginia will pull it off. I'm not sure if they'll sweep the state house, but I do think they'll at least go red when it comes to the gubernatorial. Aaron, what do you think it is? Virginia, for some of the same reasons. If what we're seeing in Loudoun County, guys, the, the, the clips that we're seeing from school board meetings across the country, it's like a two-to-one ratio what's coming out of Loudoun County. And as Rachel just pointed out, that's one of the most educated counties in the country. If the rage is that high there, what is it like in the rest of the state? I think that, and then you throw in Governor KKK blackface on top of all of that and all the things he brings to the table, that's, that's the reason enough for me. Hogan, are you going to go three for three or are you going to go off the board? The policies matter, but so do the candidates who can actually carry the water for the messages that resonate with the American people. I'm going to actually push more Arizona, Pennsylvania. Virginia is one of my top ones to watch, too. And here's why. The abrupt cessation of policies that were successful for all Americans, regardless of race, religion, color or creed, were reversed so fast. And the brunt was felt so harshly by the American people. I think they're going to reject the policies of these Democrats um, nationally, and I do think locally with with governors as well, because they want those successes back. You used to could afford gas, now you can't. Mm -hmm. um, that's a major issue. Yeah, I think you're Russia right on pipeline, about Russia I, pipeline good, America pipeline bad. Right, that's hurt people in Pennsylvania. I, I'm with you again. 100% on Pennsylvania. First of all, it's the first state to put on the ballot rejecting a governor's shutdown, lockdown orders, and it won. Right. Um, and then you throw in all the election shenanigans that went on there too. I think Pennsylvania is also a good call. All right, we've got about two minutes for everybody to get their predictions in. Aaron, go. Within the next 60 days, one of these three areas will reenact a blanket mask mandate. New York City, Michigan, or Washington State due to the uh, Delta variant. Hmm. Rachel? Within another three weeks, another civil servant career official will also be canned at CBP because Kamala is not going to cut it at the border today. Hmm. Hogan? Having read very good material on the subject, <laughs> what I think is going to happen is that Dr. Fauci will be fired by Joe Biden at some point, and they will blame the entire coronavirus issue and all the deaths on Donald Trump for keeping Dr. Fauci, even though the media and Joe Biden said you had to, and he was the only one who knew anything about this virus. And the media is going to say, yep, it's all Donald Trump's fault per usual. At some point, they need a narrative to get out from underneath this. At some point, they have to throw him under yes. a bus. I, I agree with you exactly. on that. My prediction is that big tech is eventually going to be broken up Ma Bell style like previous monopolies. Uh, and then regulated as public utilities state by state. But the result is going to end up being completely different standards of censorship and access, depending on what type of state that you live in, meaning the content you will see if you live in a state governed like, well, right now, Iowa is a fairly red state or the, compared to what you might see if you live in Oregon or Washington, for example. I think that that week we could see this really balkanize even on an access to online information level once that occurs is what I think you're going to say. So Rachel and Hogan, thank you both for joining us. You guys did a great job. And yes, it takes two people to replace Todd. So thanks both of you for stepping in. It was good to see you both. Good to see you, Hogan. Take care. Thanks so thanks much. God bless. You bet. Aaron, you have a quick thought on that prediction, by the way? 
The well, idea on a state by state, literally, could I get Blaze TV? Well, I might not get it in New York, but well, maybe, I, but I get it in South Carolina. Well, this is kind of akin to what this is kind of akin to what um, happened when Mom Bell was broken up. Instead of one national monopoly, if I understand my history yeah. correctly, instead of one national monopoly, it was uh, however many local monopolies, and so monopolies sometimes at the local level, sometimes they just have to naturally exist. Um, but it's better to have some competition amongst those instead of one voice ruling with an iron fist. We'll come back for hour two. It'll be Feedback Friday. Your turn. We will respond to your responses to us next. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre. Todd has the day off, but you're welcome to take his place by letting us know what you think about what we think. Via the SteveDace.com inbox, email the show steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Also look for me on MeWe, Parlor and Gab. And if you're looking for clips of the program, you want to be looking for rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. That's rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. And again, it's D-E-A-C-E. If you listen to the podcast, thank you. We are looking for you this time uh, to do something for us. So hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. If you have yet to do those things, please do those for us. It helps the show to grow. So many of you have done those things for us already. And we want to thank each and every one of you. So thank you. Um, You know, we've been talking on the show quite a bit over the last couple of years about Rough Greens. It's the supplement for your puppy because a lot of our puppy's foods uh, also have been stripped bare of the vitamins, minerals, nutrients, etc. that our human food has been for the same reasons. Mass consumption, mass distribution, a long shelf life. That's why we spend so much money every year, billions with a B, buying supplements. Well, now there's one for your pet. Uh, you just take this powder, you sprinkle it into the food your pet loves, and now all the good stuff that was probably stripped out is already now back in. Now, you may be wondering, though, will my pet like this? Because it does have a taste. Our dog, Cap, loves it. But if you're not sure if your dog will, here's how to find out. We'll just give you that first 14-day jumpstart bag for free. You only pay for the shipping, but the bag is for free when you go to roughgreens.com, R U F F for roughgreens.com or just give them a call at 833-ROUGH-DOG. That's 833-ROUGH-DOG. Let us begin with some Feedback Friday. We're going to start with a couple of notes that are a little longer than we would typically share. And you guys know how I'm always, you know, I hate to go all Bill O'Reilly back in the day on you. Like, I need pithy notes. Mm -hmm. And it's just because we're getting so many of them now, you know? Um, But... If I'm selecting these two to be shared on the air, I think it's because I think these are testimonies and stories that are worthwhile for our audience to hear. I want to start with this one. Um, she writes, I've been struggling with the events of uh, that we've been uh, going through recently. My husband and I listen to you guys every day. I'm a mother, grandmother, wife, patriot. I love serving my community. I started my career in the fire department and EMS. As I grew older and realized how much of my family life I was missing out on while working 24-hour shifts, I chose to leave. I was heartbroken because I knew it was a true calling for me that I signed up for, but my family, they were the ones suffering. 
So with a heavy heart, I searched for a normal job so I could be with my family. This took another couple of years for me to find my career. Three years ago, I applied to be a medical assistant in one of the largest private-owned medical offices in our area. I received a call. They wanted to interview me. I knew I had it in the bag. I went in with confidence. The interview was great. I didn't even make it home, and they called me and offered me the job. I'm overqualified for it, but that's okay. The benefits were great. No weekends, no late nights, no holidays. I was excited, so I took it. I was a medical assistant to one doctor. Every provider in our office has their own. Most have been there five plus years. The doctor I serve is a good man. He loves his patients. He's a man of God. I enjoyed working by his side every day until COVID. I was forced to follow the ridiculous, unproven COVID protocols and mask requirements. I always thought I could get through this. It's a phase. It's another flu. We'll go back to normal eventually. Normal never came. Our office was a great place to work. No one ever left. We were like a family. I loved this job so much that when my husband wanted to move, that was the one thing I could not give up. I loved it there. Vaccines roll out and we are offered them first. Some of us got them and some didn't. I chose to take my chances, although I did encourage patients that are at high risk to talk to their doctor about the pros and the cons. I stayed professional. I'm not a science experiment and I did not receive the vaccine. I watched a coworker that said they would not get it and told them if they did, they could take off the mask. So most everyone got vaccinated, and guess what? They still had to wear the mask. I stopped wearing mine at work most of the time. I never wear one outside of work. Then recently I received an email that I have um, that, uh, that said, hey, um, I've got to take this vaccine. I'm not a sissy. I didn't cry usually unless I get angry. So I sat there and stared at my computer screen and I could feel the heat coming off my face. I got a huge knot in my throat. What is this? We all have to walk around and identify our personal medical decisions on our chest? Isn't this what they did to the Jews? I thought to myself, no way is this office going to let human resources pull this crap off. I got up to see what people were saying about it. Nothing. They were saying nothing. They were proudly taking their pins Those of us not vaccinated, we were to be shamed. We don't come into the building without a mask on, not one mask, but two. This broke my heart. I knew immediately what I had to do. I clocked out and went to my desk and quietly gathered my personal belongings. I then sent an email to our practice manager and told her that I will not be part of this segregation. That is exactly what it is. No one has a right to know my medical information. I will not allow myself to be identified by my choice for my body. I told her that I was resigning and it was to be effective immediately. I closed my laptop and walked out. I do not believe in suing over every little thing. I thought on my way home, no way would I do that. I have so many friends there. I'm connected with the doctor I work for. We're friends. I'm best friends with my supervisor. Do you know how many phone calls and texts though? Listen to this. Do you know how many phone calls and texts I received from that place after this came out I had resigned? All these people that I thought were my friends? Zero. That was hurtful to me for the first few days, but today I feel proud. I stood for what is right. I just realized that those I thought my friends weren't. They were nothing but sheep. I don't know if you'll get this. I feel I should do more to expose this type of behavior and stop this nonsense. Any advice or guidance is welcomed. That is from LaDonna. LaDonna, first of all, I think you ought to um, be giving a lot of us some advice. 
because the amount of of courage of conviction that you have demonstrated here and discernment exceeds the grasp of, of, of many of us, which is why people like you were being put in the position that you're in. Israel was the most vaccinated nation in the world. About half of its citizens have been fully vaccinated with the Pfizer vaccine. They're reinstituting mask mandates. They're putting off reopening the country to tourists because of a, a rise in infections with the Delta scariant. And by the way, the rise is pitiful. It's not even a, it's not even a number to be concerned about. But you're right. It is what was done to Jews in Germany. But here's the thing. Although the, the people it goes after are different in every era, this is what were done to blacks in the Jim Crow South. It's not any different. This is what were done to Christians in early Rome. See, the playbook is the same. We always think, though, well, it's, it's because it's not going after this one particular group that it, that it went after before, that that means it's not happening again. It's not about which group, which group is unpersoned, to coin a phrase from Orwell. It's not about who's in the crosshairs at that moment. It's about the process by which this occurs. That never changes. It's always the same. And it always looks like this every time. There's only two ways to make this stop, I'm afraid. One is revival. The other is those inflicting the coercive power of the spirit of the age upon us need to feel as if it is more painful to continue to do that than it is to not do so. So I would urge you, LaDonna, to contact people over at We the Patriots USA. You're commended for thinking at first, I'm just going to make my own conscientious decision and move on. I don't want to legally go after the place where I worked. I loved these people. And then you found out that they didn't love you back. They tried to take something from you that they're not entitled to. Your dignity. There needs to be pain for that. That's the only way this goes away. Right now, right now, the the forces aligned with the spirit of the age do not fear us. They don't fear God. So I don't know why we'd be shocked to learn that they don't fear us. Until that 
calculus changes, I don't think much else will. Now, in your anger, do not sin, but let it drive you righteously, indignantly, to correct an injustice and to send a message. You don't get to do this to me. We have laws, we have rights, we have protections, and I will use them to their fullest. Well, Steve, I thought we were to turn the other cheek. On a personal human level, yes. And LaDonna, it looks to me like you began from that premise. Absolutely, I wouldn't hate these people or anything else. But the guy that wrote pretty much the rest of the New Testament, that Jesus didn't speak directly, when his civil liberties were threatened as a Roman citizen, he demanded them in court. He demanded the government, the system, recognize his civil liberties as a Roman citizen. You are absolutely entitled and free to do the same. Turn the other cheek does not mean there's no justice. It does not mean there's no restitution. That's about the condition of the heart. And do we allow spite to swallow us up so that then we become the very people that we claim to disagree with or oppose? Do I forgive as Christ forgave me? But you know, the, the thief at the cross who defended Christ's honor and said, this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. So eternally, is that man forgiven? Yes. But did Jesus say, you know what? Um, uh, therefore now take this guilty man off the cross. He should go scot for No. He let him sit there and hang for his crimes because he was a criminal. In a civic sense, he deserved the punishment. Don't conflate consequences with condemnation. Turning the other cheek is about condemnation, and there is now therefore no condemnation in Christ. It is not about an avoidance of consequences. The neighbor's dog comes into your garden chasing after an animal and wrecks it. And the neighbor comes over and apologizes and says, oh man, I'm so sorry that that happened. Turn the other cheek and forgive them. That doesn't mean, however, that that neighbor doesn't owe you restitution for what its dog did to your garden. You don't condemn them. You don't hate them. You realize that if you have a dog, could have been your dog that did this to them one day. Or your kid that threw a ball through their window one day. That's why you forgive. You don't bear a grudge. But you're still owed restitution. Something was unlawfully taken from you by another. You're entitled to be made whole. 
If you look through the entire Levitical code of how the Israelites in a direct theocracy were to conduct a civil form of justice, it all rested on restitution. An eye for an eye didn't mean vengeance. It was a statement of what you take from someone else, you must give them back. That's what it meant, restitution. They owe you restitution, sister. They took something from you, and unlawfully. Don't hate them. Don't despise them. Don't let the anger and bile swallow you whole. So you end up then becoming something that the people you care about don't want to be around any longer. Don't do that. Let that go. But I'd hold them accountable for their actions. You bet. I don't know if they can help you or not, but we, the PatriotsUSA.org, that's the one site I know where they're actually trying to help people like you. I'd look them up, see if they can help you. And anybody else with a similar tale to tell, same thing. For just adding this in here, um, 450 to 1, that was, or 400, 450 to 1, that was the ratio of Midianites to Gideon's men when... Gideon's men had been th- pared down from 32,000 or thereabouts to 300. It's about 167 to 1. The number of employees at Houston Methodist this week to those who stayed and took full vaccination. Mm-hmm. I like those odds. Mm-hmm. I like those odds even better. That's not to say that's not to say that those 300 men of Gideon were just so special that they were able to accomplish this great feat or that uh, the the special way that they did it, if you remember that story, was just so special. It was just, no, it was God's providence. It was God's providence and his will that allowed them that incredible, incredible victory with so few, seemingly few uh, men. What God is concerned about is obedience not numbers. That's hard, especially every day, and hopefully I'm not reinforcing that. Um, I could probably do a better job of that in the, in the, in the montage. Hopefully, hopefully we don't get so down on there's so many of these Midianites around here. How in the world are we ever? Nope. Just faithfulness and obedience. Um, when we're doing that, we're in the center of of God's will at any point. That doesn't mean that God's providence is going to be um, turning America around, but it is, it is, his, it is in his providence for you uh, if you choose to obey. So good on you, sister. Hey, I'm wearing a shirt. Can you get a camera angle on this? Can I move my mic so you can see here? Okay. This symbol, I've worn this before. It's been a while, okay? This is the symbol that ISIS would paint over, paint on the doors of Christians in Syria and other places where it took land, Iraq, who refused to convert. And it basically is translated as, as you're, you're nothing. They can do whatever they want to you, whenever they want to you, because of what you believe. That's what this symbol means. Now, as a Christian, should you... And, 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 these, and, and those that faced this, LaDonna and others in the same situation you're in, 
faced a whole different level of suffering than what you guys are undergoing. We all agree on that, right? Yep. So should they have turned the other cheek in terms of forgiving their oppressor and their enemy? Yeah. Were they wrong to cheer when our military forces showed up and erased these ISIS soldiers and operatives off the face of the earth? Should they have cheered for that too? Yeah. Yep. It's not a question of either or. It's a question of and also. Is God transcendent or imminent? Yes. Is God merciful or holy? Yes. Um, it, does God um, demand justice or offer grace? Yes. Because who knows, maybe the forgiveness you show your oppressor might cause them to repent before the cavalry arrives and it's too late for them then because the appointment, their appointment with their maker for their judgment has now been scheduled. So it's not a question of either or, it's a question of and also. We are every right within our rights to hold those who commit acts of injustice accountable for them. We are upholding the character of God every bit as much when we do that as we do when we forgive those who persecute us. Let's go to this one next. Mike says, I went to a college in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. My senior year, I met my future wife. Um, uh, and, and so I naturally decided to take, um, she was younger than me. So I took on another minor in religious studies to prolong my graduation so I could go to school when she was there. Um, and you know what? It paid off. Uh, she's now my wife. Uh, she was an atheist when I met her, but no longer. So praise Jesus. One of the courses I took in this minor was Western religious studies. This involved examining the religions of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Upon the first day of class, I was initially thrilled to learn our professor on campus was a Baptist minister. But the first red flag came in the middle of the semester when he made zero acknowledgments or mentions of horrible things that are mentioned in the Quran, but he spent plenty of time harping on the Crusades and Christianity's history and many other things like this. Yeah, that's more than a red flag, brother. Uh, but none of this compared to the final exam for the semester. Our exam was to answer two questions. Number one, if you had to choose one of the three religions we discussed, which would you choose and why? And you may not choose the religion you already believe in. Number two, do you believe that the God of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity are all the same or are they different gods? The last day of the semester, we had a roundtable discussion where everyone shared their answers openly. He began by addressing the second exam question and phrased it by saying, raise your hand if you believe that these three religions all worship the same God. Every single student raised their hand but me. Out of a class of 40, I was the only one who didn't raise my hand and they all looked at me like I was crazy. Congrats. Well done. Okay. I said that in the Bible, they are not the same God. Jesus makes very specific claims about who he is and what he came to do that contradict what is mentioned, for example, in the Quran. To make matters worse, a student asked the professor, who again is a Baptist preacher for the campus, to answer the same question. He stated that he did believe they were all the same God, to which I offered somewhat involuntarily, then what's the point of even preaching Christianity every Sunday? <laughs> Needless to say, I got a zero on this exam but mainly because I answered the first question of the exam by stating I would never believe in any other God but Jesus Christ and asked me to consider, asking me to consider any other religion is insane. Steve, I remember how much this experience infuriated me. 
I could not believe this man had failed these students so miserably. They were all left believing a lie that may truly damn them to hell. Worst of all, one of my best friends was in that class with me. So I'd love to know what would have been you guys' reaction if this if you had been in my shoes. So Aaron, you've been in a college classroom more recently than me by an order of magnitude. Mm -hmm. The phrase we learned last year, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you answer this one. I would hope that I would do the exact. I mean, it. I would hope that I'd do the same thing as you. See, that was going to be my answer, which is why I gave it to you. That's the best I could come up with. Because what's what? It's a freaking grade, guys. Okay, you know what my grade point average is right now. Um, from 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 college. Do you want to know what I what it is? How many times did I ask you what it was when I when I was looking at hiring you? A zero times. Yeah. Do you know what it is? Please tell me. You don't know what it is because I don't know. I don't really care. <laughs> um, That's a little. You got a little Ronnie Dangerfield exactly. there. I liked that. That yeah. was. I liked how you set that up. So I. What is it? I. If they're going to fail you, completely fail you on the class, if your professor is that, that's, that's not teaching, that's not learning, that's indoctrination. And there are actions that you can take. So, yeah, fight on that. I, I would hope that I would do the same thing. Just a grade. That's a good answer. That, that's the best answer I could come up with. Because I, I kind of thought, brother, you handled that pretty good, actually. Uh, Michelle in Idaho Falls writes... Why am I excluded from playing in the NBA as a female? A man can identify and join me in the WNBA, or for that matter, in any level of women's athletics or in the bathroom, as a matter of fact. So why does age matter? We all know our identifiers are all that matter, not biology, merit, or ability. I can guarantee my NBA contribution would be a showstopper. So I identify as a six foot eight NBA star. P.S. I also identify as vaccinated. I read the other day that there were, um, and this even made me, mainstream media reports, that's how much they were annoyed by this, that there were a group of folks going around, oh, where, where did I read this at and what state was it in? I can't recall, but they were, they were holding up signs and, and saying to their employees, I identify as vaccinated, <laughs> as vaccinated. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I, I think this is, I think that this is a very appropriate tactic for the times in which we live. Scorn, mockery, laughter. I think it's, you know, this will be the second or third time this week I've invoked the classic of cinema, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. All right. But when Kirk first encounters Khan, who he thought he left dead on a planet, and he finds out that his old nemesis is still alive. And he's been out angled and outsmarted by Khan. And he's trying to buy himself some time to figure out how he's going to get the Enterprise out of this mess. All right. And one of the things he says to him is, I am laughing at the superior intellect. I love that. Laugh. Mock. Because it's, this is all dumb. When, when, when your children come to you and say, you know, I think I'm a frog. Do you sit down and, and argue taxonomy with them? Well, have you considered that which phylum, the, the amphibians? But no, you don't. You dismiss it. Okay? That's just silly, honey. Okay? That level of dismissiveness, Aaron, I believe, is called for in this era. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the, I don't know if, if Todd was here, if he could tell me what category of sin pride is. But it is, at the at the end of the day, it is kind of the root or the impetus of, of every other sin that, that man commits. And pride, you don't like to have, whether it's, 
whether it's a, a surface level pride or deep seated pride that you have in your own self, By the way, what in month your own is this? abilities. This is Pride Month. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. You don't like to have your pride bruised. Nobody does. But the enemy, the enemy, the one who is probably the most proud, he sure as heck doesn't like to have his pride, his pride bruised at all. See, when people, people like us, people who who worship the one true God, when we get down in the dirty with the left, with with the the, the pawns of of the enemy, when we start doing things that they do just because they do them, using some of their own tactics against them, the, the, but the ones that are like immoral that we are told not to do. They actually like that. They may condemn it, even though they do it themselves. They may condemn it. Because you're validating them in some way. Because you're validating them. Mm -hmm. But when you make fun of them, they can't condemn that. When When you make fun of them with the truth, they can't condemn that at all. And so it hurts their pride. Because they know you're right. Everybody who's laughing at the, that that hurts their pride. And a perfect example of this, quickly before the break, if I may get this in. I don't know if you saw this this week, Steve. Seth Dillon, the CEO of the Babylon Bee, posted a couple of screenshots. One was of a Facebook communique to Facebook pages talking about um, satire and what satire and parody is and isn't. And one of the words was, satire doesn't punch down. Mm. A few days later, lo and behold, Slate wrote in a piece uh, screaming Babylon B, the Babylon B, which routinely punches down. You can see what's happening there. It's because the enemy hates to be laughed. It hates to be mocked. Mm-hmm. And so that's per, part and parcel. And it's, it's an example that this stuff does leave a mark and they do take note. Like, you know, when your kid brings you those ideas, you don't say you're stupid, son. No, you dismiss the idea that they brought you. You don't yep. destroy them on a personal level, yep. right? That's the scorning and the mockery that we're talking about. We'll come back. More Feedback Friday here in a moment. And Built Bar did it again. When they put out those specialty flavors, by the way, make sure. That's why you want to go to Built.com, get on the list, put in your email. When they have sales, they have specialty flavors. One-day sales like they just did a few days ago with banana nut bread. I just had one of those banana nut bread Built Bars during the last break. And they even get the texture of it right. Like it, it tastes as if there's little pieces of banana nut bread inside this protein bar. It's the best protein bar you have ever had. It's more nutritious uh, than any candy bar you've ever tried. And it tastes better than a lot of the candy bars on the market as well. Trust me, I think y'all know I've tried a few candy bars in my time. All right, this thing can hang. And by the way, though, it's also good for you. 17 to 18 grams of protein per bar. Uh, eight is the most you'll ever see. Eight grams of sugar or eight grams of net carbs in any bar. Most of them have five or less. All covered in real chocolate. All absolutely delicious. You've got to check it out right now. Built.com is where you want to go. B-U-I-L-T. Built.com. Use my last name, promo code DACE. D-E-A-C-E to get 15% off. Promo code DACE at built.com. You will thank me later. I promise you. This this was like the only good thing that came out of 2020 was me discovering this product. Yep. <laughs> okay. I see you have a case over here. I brought in an emergency stash. I'm intentionally not looking to see if they're gluten-free because it will disappear very fast. If not, the, that I, not that I would do that, but I'm just 
saying, laying that out there. I knew last week when I forgot my built bars, I just needed to have a backup stash here. Mm-hmm. But if I don't know if the birthday cake ones are gluten free or not, but if they are, you're more than welcome to try one. I'd love to get your take. Because it does taste, again, like I just said about the banana nut bread, it tastes, the texture of it tastes like a piece of cake does, all right? All right, let's get back to uh, some feedback Friday. Um, This is from RC, who says, my next door neighbor's brother is a pediatrician at a a children's hospital in Denver. He had to get the shot for work. He had a reaction and lost 90% of his sight in one eye, 50% of his sight in the other. But the hospital said he still could not return. Until he had the second shot. Now, we have no way of verifying whether this account is true. But given how we have seen a lot of our systems of power react where this vaccine is concerned, would it surprise you if that was true? No, it's like the story yesterday that I, the, the April Fool's joke that I fell for this last year from Barstool Sports about the Major League Baseball putting up targets around the outfield bleachers. And if you hit a home run on that target, you get five runs instead of one or whatever it was. I, I believe that partially because I'm a little bit gullible and 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 um, maybe just kind of stupid. But, par- but, but the other part, <laughs> because it's totally believable. You could totally see Major League Baseball doing something that brain deadly stupid to their brand and so yeah it's a virtue if you just if you made up something like this it's totally believable whereas five ten years ago uh it's the paranoid delusions of a of a sociopath or something like that it's totally believable also totally believable is Omega XL, one of the products that I got introduced to here in the last couple of years on the program. If you are looking for an all-natural anti-inflammatory that works, I can attest to the fact this one does. So if you've got chronic stiffness, achiness, soreness, knees, back, neck, shoulders, etc., um, and you're concerned about taking a lot of over-the-counter anti-inflammatories and overall what that may do to your health. Maybe also, though, you've tried those topical creams and things and they work to alleviate symptoms for a while, but they always come back. Uh, that's why you want to try Omega XL, an all-natural anti-inflammatory backed by 35 years of clinical research. It attacks the inflammation that is likely causing your pain. So if you want to give it a shot, buy one, get one free is available right now when you visit OmegaXL.com slash Steve. Again, that's Omega, just like it sounds. OmegaXL.com slash Steve. Uh, buy your first bottle, we'll throw the second one in for free. Or you can give them a call at 800-844-4888. Um, back to the emails on a feedback Friday. If America today was a book, this is from Steven. He writes, not me. Uh, if America today was a book, which book would it be? A 1984 B brave new world C Lord of the flies or D Fahrenheit 51. What would your answer to that one be? I would say, man, I want to say 1984, but I think we're kind of, I think we're, I, I think we're still, I think we're still closer to Lord of the Flies territory. Hmm. I, I think so because I think there's still enough of a still enough of a a movement out there. Cannibal the cannibalistic movements are still out there. 1984. No, that's um, how dare how dare you believe anything other than what the party tells you to. Um, but there are elements of that. There are el- so many elements of that right now. We're we're cl- quickly moving that direction, but I still think we're 
kind of Lord of the Flies. By the way, Steve's answers is just qu- just kidding. That was a trick question. The answer is all of the above. Yep. And I, I do think that there are elements of all of the above because those stories are timeless because they're archetypes of what happens to unrestrained human nature. Um, and that's a good way to go to this question from Carl. To me, one of the best features on your outstanding show is continued references to the natural law. Not only is the natural law the basis for American exceptionalism, but the degree of recognition and respect for the constraints it imposes on human action is the most important factor in the current rift within American political thought. But my question is, why does the natural law have to be of divine origin? From my point of view, it seems that it would naturally and logically flow from the objective facts of the human condition. Indeed, it is not the case that intellectual conflicts between Christianity and other worldviews or within Christianity itself of particular interest these days, given the insane pronouncements of the current Pope, for example, but they can't be sa- they can only be satisfactorily argued about and peacefully resolved within a universal naturalistic framework. I fail to see what the insist- what the insistence on the divine source for the natural law brings to the table. On the other hand, I can see at least a couple of disadvantages, especially in considering younger generations who tend to be more suspicion of suspicious of freedom or I'm sorry, of religion in general and of Christianity in particular. Well, let's start with with two things first, okay? Number 1, great question Carl. Number 1. We accept things on the basis of whether or not they are true not on the basis of whether or not they are um, acceptable, sellable, inoffensive. So the argument that it would be smart to remove a divine origin for the natural law because it would reach a generation that is religiously suspicious, I'm going to reject that on its premise. Um, because I would actually say that if it is of a divine origin, and if indeed even religiously suspicious people were made in his image, then no one is unreachable then. Nothing exceeds the grasp of the sovereignty of God. Nothing does. There was a very underrated Christian movie made about 20 years ago called Time Changer. It's really obscure. If you can find it, go get it. The guy who was the captain in Love Boat is one of the lead actors in the film. Uh, uh, Barney Miller, the guy who played him, is in it. Uh, Paul Rodriguez, the comedian from the 80s, is in it. And the premise of the story is it takes place in the late 19th century on a small, small town seminary. And a young seminarian has just written a book, Making Your Case, Carl, that we should divorce the the word the, the idea that this comes from god from teaching the natural law or basic morality because it would reach a wider audience and the seminary refuses to support the book because it's a seminary and they don't want to support a book that says we can take god out of something that would tend to contradict its 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 message and one of the seminarians this this is the late 19th century we already have 10% of our marriages ending in a divorce we can't afford any more societal collapse well, it turns out one of the elders at the seminary, his father was an H.G. Wells junkie and figured out how to build a time machine. And, and 
he makes the deal that he will sell the seminary on endorsing this book if the young seminarian will jump into the time machine 100 years into the future to see what the consequences are from removing God from a place of from his place of authority within American culture. And I won't give any more of it away from there, but the movie is actually very well done. I would highly recommend it. So first of all, it's not so much about whether or not it is palatable to sell a natural law of divine origin. It's about whether the natural law is of divine origin. It, it's unquestionably of divine origin, and here is why. Animals. See, see, we have all this focus on race. We're, we're not flesh and blood. We're souls. We're spirits. We're spirit beings. That's what we'll live forever. Our spirit doesn't have a race. There's a lot of debate about whether animals have souls or not, but they don't, they aren't spirit creatures. That's what makes us made in God's image. The flesh is not what makes us made in God's image. It's the spirit that we are. That spirit comes with it, a need for justice. There's no need for justice in a pride of lions. There's just a need for antelope to eat That's, and, and a need to procreate. The only code they live by are the two F's, feed, and you probably know what the other one is. That's it. That's their only code. After a pride of lions has already fully digested a herd of antelope, and then they see an hour later another injured antelope comes scurrying across the Serengeti with a limp. They don't look at each other and say, you know what, we're going to let that one slide today. They've suffered enough. We're pretty full. We're, we're satiated. No, they instinct takes over and they, pr- they pounce and attack because they're animals. Well, why are we different than the animals? Because we see a need to find objective order. We see a need to find justice. Where do those instincts come from? An evolutionary process cannot speak to that. Only a creative one can. That we were designed this way. That's what makes us different from our pets. So the idea of a, of a natural law or a basic morality... It can only be of a divine origin because there's no real point to it in nature. It exists with no other species anywhere else in nature. Only with us. Rosie O'Donnell and others used to make arguments like, well, there's, you know, well, there's homosexuality in nature too. Well, there's also the eating of one's own feces, the puking up of your food to feed your, 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 your offspring with it, and mauling with your bare claws uh, things to death until you break their flesh down to the bone. I'm not sure that's exactly what we ought to be emulating. We serve a higher calling and ceiling than that. So it can only be of a divine nature. Otherwise, there's no point to why we are above the animals, other than we were made so. Then there's the question of accountability. Ultimately, something has to be or someone has to be in charge down here. Who am I accountable to? 
Why would I be accountable to you? So can you uphold the, the natural law? No. Perfectly? No. You make mistakes. You sin. Well, then why would I listen to you? You're a hypocrite. Why do you get to impose your morality on me? So it can only be of a divine origin because that's the only explanation for why our species is different than every other species on this planet. And then secondly, it must be from a divine origin. Otherwise, there's no one to enforce it. We're left to enforce it on one another. Except none of us is righteous enough to have the integrity or the standing to enforce it on another. We're all guilty of exactly what we're going to enforce on everybody else. That's why it can only be, and it must be, of a divine origin. I know you want to respond to this, Aaron. Let me get this sure. in really quick, and I'll let you do that, all right? Um, if you are looking at getting involved in the real estate market during these unprecedented times, Bing. thank you. Um, make sure you go in with an agent that you can trust. And where would you find such a person? Well, the name kind of says it all. Head over to realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. That's where just about anywhere in the country, we're going to be able to hook you up with an agent whose track record of success is fully verified and who understands that they need to come in and take charge of your situation, but while also remembering that you are really the one that is ultimately in charge here. So again, uh, don't go in alone because you know when you go on those websites, no one tells you these agents, these are the agents we have that suck. These are the agents that have that aren't any good. They don't do that. All right. So you want to find an agent that you can trust. You're going to find them again on this site. Realestateagentsitrust.com is where you want to go. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. To what ends? Would you attempt to divorce the natural law from, from the, the lawgiver? I'll posit this. I'll provide maybe a little bit of, of explanation. Some of, the, some of the worst, most bloodthirsty fiends of human history understood human nature and the natural law and did not recognize or know God for who he was. When you understand human nature and the natural law, but do not recognize God or do not know God, you are capable of some truly, truly disastrous things because you are able to manipulate people the way that you will. You are able, you are able to manipulate them under the natural law the way you will. But if you understand human nature and the natural law and you put and you allow God to take the place that he needs to, things start to make sense and things start to work better for you. So I, I don't understand, I don't understand, uh, uh, eventually, if the, if the goal is to reach a broader audience, hoping that they will accept natural law without divine origin, so that they will then come back around to understanding the divine origin, why not just cut out the middleman? Because the people who end up at that spot are going to be the ones who are most likely to accept it whole cloth up front. So well I don't said. understand the... I don't understand the, the to, to what end part of this. Well said. We will stick around and do an abbreviated best and worst of the week because there's only two of us today as opposed to three. Uh, that's for the overtime at blazetv.com slash days. For the rest of you, have a great weekend. See you Monday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.